Mel. And Kel. And this is It's Called Culture. Ever heard of it? Happy Mardi Gras, guys. Carnival. <laughs> That's going to be the topic of today's episode. And I thought that most people knew about this, but I just walked past my husband and he said, what's today's episode about? And I said, Mardi Gras. And he was like, oh, like Southern culture. And I was like, well, like all around the world culture. It's like Fat Tuesday. And he was like, what's that? And I was like, oh, okay. So my man's never heard (laughs) anything about this. He knew nothing. So maybe we will enlighten some people today. In his defense, he is like up north, <laughs> really, really up north. He was born and raised really up north. <laughs> so maybe they were very sheltered. <laughs> In the sticks of Maine. Yes. Yes, they were. Yes. <laughs> so before we kick off into our Mardi Gras stuff, I wanted to just kind of give us a little space here to talk about some things from our listeners. So we had one listener just reach out to us with an update on something that we had brought up in an episode earlier. We were talking about mourning and the funeral mourning process and the clothing that you wear after the fact. And they wear black for like the rest of their lives, some of them. I think you must have had a question in there about their quackish and what color (laughs) their underwear was. Of course. So I think you were wondering whether they also do a black quacka or if, or if it's a white underwear underneath there. Tyler, who's our on-the-ground correspondent in Lisbon. <laughs> also a guest in one of our previous episodes, too. And he confirmed by asking around that the quackish are white. So did he go around and ask widowers? <laughs> Excuse me, what color are your quackish? Just checking. Your husband died, so you're a widower. What color is your quackish? Like he has like a little notepad and he's going around asking questions and he's just making tally marks in his notepad. Like they do in prison by the wall. (laughs) Like how many days they've been in prison. Yeah. So confirmed the quackish are white. So the husband doesn't care that his wife that's alive is wearing white quackish it just has to be black clothes i'm sure he doesn't care at all he's six feet on them but <laughs> it's all for show for everybody else and nobody else can see the quackish so because it's also another thing a lot of widowers don't get remarried right so you're just basically saying ain't nobody ever going to see those quackish again <laughs> well you know she goes on an episode <laughs> <laughs> It's not oh. swiping. You never know. Oh, my God. A Portuguese widower on a dating app. Can you imagine? <laughs> well, that could be an episode on its own. But So the other thing that I'll bring up from one of our listeners, and I'm actually feeling a little under the weather today, so I may need to try this sooner than I was expecting. <laughs> but I had posted something to our Instagram where I was propagating garlic which I still, I don't, the thing keeps growing at a rapid clip in this cup by my windowsill. And I don't know what to do with it now. Everyone's like, well, you got to plant it in the soil. Well, yeah, I know, but like it's in version out there. Like it's winter. Yeah, it's so, winter. I don't know if I got to go buy some 
some dirt from Home Depot or something and plant it inside. But we'll we'll figure that out. I think it takes like nine months to make one garlic into another garlic. So we'll see how that goes. Right. But what one of our listeners commented on was the fact that their grandfather used to drink garlic water. And he lived to be. I think maybe his wife lived to be 95 and then. And he's 89, turning 90 this year. And they swear by just drinking garlic water. God bless them. And I asked how to do it. It seemed like it was like just soak the bulbs in warm water and then drink. She says, then hopefully strain strain the cloves. <laughs> <laughs> so I can't wait to try that. I do love some garlic. I mean, who doesn't? So yeah. Oh, yeah. So maybe in nine months when my garlic is propagated, <laughs> I can try that. <laughs> so Mardi Gras, literally the words translate in French to Fat Tuesday. Like gras means fat and Mardi means Tuesday. It's also called Shrove Tuesday, which I had never heard that term, but I guess there are parts of the world that call it Shrove Tuesday from the practice of shriving, which means to purify oneself through confession prior to Lent. I prefer the Mardi Gras as in Fat Tuesday. (laughs) And and not the confession version. (laughs) Not the confession. To purify your soul. But it is wild that this all just goes back to religion and again the pagan celebration it's it's all connected it is so we looked at it and it sort of went back and we were finding ties back to lupercalia which is that festival that we just talked about in last week's episode about valentine's day it's so interesting to me because it seems that the catholic church we have a little a few we're sensing a theme here that the catholic (laughs) church just like takes some pagan festival that they condemn and they just like put a little razzle-dazzle on it, and they call it a Catholic thing. And I guess the weird thing about Fat Tuesday or Mardi Gras or any of that is it's like it's like tied to religion because it like marks the beginning of Lent in Christianity, but it's not necessarily like a church thing. So it's not like, like the church has nothing to do with Fat Tuesday or Mardi Gras, but like the origin of it is all tied to the liturgical calendar. It's Fat Tuesday is obviously on the Tuesday, and then the next day is Ash Wednesday, and that's when you go right into Lent, and that's when you like give up everything. Well, give up me, and that is everything for me. <laughs> the thing about giving up stuff for Lent, growing up for us, I feel like it was always just meat, and it was just meat on Fridays in Lent. Whereas this, everything that I've researched for this was like back in the day, it was like you couldn't have dairy and you couldn't have meat. And it was for like all of Lent. It wasn't just for Fridays in Lent. Yeah. They said like people would like they called it merrymakers would binge on all the rich fatty foods like you mentioned meat, eggs, milk, lard and cheese. In anticipation of the several weeks of eating only fish and fasting. They would eat everything up until they could, and then Lent came, and they would just eat fish. They would use up all those ingredients that they had in their home to make whatever it was. There's different, each country or culture has its own kind of specialty thing that's associated with Fat Tuesday, because it was like that was the thing that they, that their culture decided to make. And they're all kind of similar, 
like they're very much like flour, dough, milk and egg based pastry type of things, right? Like for the Portuguese, it was Melisadas, literally Melisada Tuesday. It's called Melisada Tuesday in Hawaii. You know, it's all the Portuguese influence in Hawaii, but their Melisadas look different than our Melisadas that I know. If I remember from when I went, it looked smaller. Theirs look like a jelly donut. And they were like smaller, round, and like a filling, yeah. And so there's a very popular bakery there, which I'm, I don't know if this is the one you went to, Leonard's. Yeah. So that's like a super popular one. Like I saw it first on Chrissy Teigen was there, mm-hmm. and she posted it on her Instagram, and I saw it, and I was like, "Wait, those are Melisadish. And then I followed the Leonard's page, so like now I just get like posts of Melisadish in my Instagram feed from them but they do a filling and it looks like a jelly donut and i'm sure you can get them with no filling too but the ones that we know are more like fried dough looking yeah like you go to the the fair and it's a fried dough and it's flat and bubbly so a bunch of us went to hawaii and we stayed at an airbnb and when we went to this leonard's place we're like let's get a bunch of you know we wanted a bunch of it we just wanted to try it all so we got a bunch of stuff we thought we were going to eat all of this, but we didn't. So we left it out like in, in like the pastry box. We, we had it sitting out. The next morning, we had ants all over our Airbnb. <laughs> From the Melisadas? Yeah. I'm like, wow, that was really fast. Like it was just like the next day that we didn't eat them. We just like, we left them out. We didn't put them in the fridge because I don't really put them in the fridge here at home. Right. You know what I mean? Like we keep them. My mom always keeps her melisadas in the brown paper, brown greasy paper bag. <laughs> There's just so much damn sugar in there. The ants couldn't stay away. So there's lots of different types of like doughy pastries like that. Like for the Southern, like the New Orleans area, it's the French beignets. Is that what the, yes, how they say yeah. it? The beignets from Cafe Du Monde. Well, that's one of the locations. So it's all just like sugar in one way or another with some dough. So the other thing that I thought was interesting, so like all the names for it. So again, mm-hmm. we said Mardi Gras, Fat Tuesday, Melissa Tuesday, Shrove Tuesday. And then there's also Carnival. Or Carnival. So in Latin, it comes from this term carnilevarium which means to take away or remove meat. So literally like carn. The carn in carnival is for meat. <laughs> and I thought it was so funny because I started saying it and I'm like carnival. Carnival. Carnvala. <laughs> <laughs> There's a Portuguese version, carnvala, <laughs> and that's how you get to removing meat at Carnival. Carnival. I made up that part about the Portuguese. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it works. I was like, carnvala, carnival. Funny how we didn't notice that until we did the research. We grew up saying 
carnival or you know carnival but i never put two and two together that the beginning is like carnina (laughs) absolutely would have never pieced together that carnival was literally meat our parents didn't say anything either i almost wonder do they do they even realize (laughs) no they don't know what you kidding me it's carnina We're going to kind of talk about around and talk about other cultures and everything. So the other name that I came across quite often was Pancake Tuesday. Oh, okay. Did you see that one? No, I didn't see that one. In England, the day is known as Pancake Tuesday. And the reason is so effing stupid. It's sad when you see how little it takes to come up with like this long-standing tradition. <laughs> Let me just let me just lay this one out for you. Legend says that the idea started when a woman cooking pancakes lost track of the time. When she heard the church bells ring, she rushed out the door to attend the shriving service while still wearing her apron and holding a skillet containing a pancake. So literally in like the 1400s or something. Some woman walked out of her house with a pancake and a frying pan to go to her shriving mass so that she could purify herself before Lent. And it started this like long standing tradition and custom in England of Pancake Day. And now everybody has pancakes on Fat Tuesday. And, and so they do pancake races. Lots of flapjack related activity. (laughs) There's pancake races held by women dating back to 1445. The pancake race remains a relatively common festive tradition in the UK. Participants with frying pans race through the streets, tossing pancakes into the air and catching them in the pan while running. The pancake race traditionally has women contestants who carry a frying pan and race over a 415-yard course to the finish line. The rules are strict. Contestants must toss the pancake at the start and the finish and wear a scarf and apron. I got two things on that. One, why does it? Why is it just women? So sexist. Fucking sexist. The men can make the fucking pancakes, too. <laughs> That's right. And two, is it just a ripoff of the egg on the spoon? The egg on the spoon race that my mom made us do for my birthday party when I was like eight. Well, guess what? Do you think that would happen today with inflation? And everything being so not definitely not the egg. Not the egg. You ain't putting (laughs) that egg on the spoon. You can. But that shit's going to be hard boiled before you put it on the spoon. And it's going back in the fridge when you're done. Absolutely. Oh God. Yeah. So I just think it doesn't take much. It doesn't take much. That's that's the part that is crazy to me. It's like one woman who was a nobody. Someone saw her walking out with a frying pan with a pancake in it, being like, Oh my gosh, I'm late for church. I hope she at least shut her stove off or whatever it was at the time that she was making her pancakes on. One of the articles I read said that that's why she ran out with the pancake in the skillet because she didn't want to like burn the house down. But I'm like, just turn the stove off. <laughs> kind of reminds me of how now today here everything is national something. 
so when it's like why are those days <laughs> like why like who made it up Melissa is googling it guys right now and so it's not going to be the day that that this episode gets released because we record it on a different day but let me just see what national day is today every day is something so what's today wednesday february 15th yep world hippo day <laughs> Annoy Squidward Day, Singles Awareness Day. <laughs> what are the odds? National Gumdrop Day. See, it's part of International Flirting Week, Random Acts of Kindness Week, National Jello Week, Children of Alcoholics Awareness Week. <laughs> The Great American Pizza Bake, National Nest Box Week, like a bird nest, National Condom Week. Gotta have those. I love that you have single singles awareness (laughs) during National Condom Week. Take your family to school week, National Secondhand Wardrobe Week. National Cardiac Rehabilitation Week. It just keeps going. It's so much. It doesn't end. National Kraut and Frankfurter Week. National Fasting February. Oh, then they were getting into like months. Okay. Like Black History Month, that kind of thing. So So that's just one week in February, all of that. How do you get that job? I want that job. (laughs) Of like deciding what day it is. And like, how do you just... How do you just make it a day? Like, just I declare, (laughs) like Michael Scott when he declares bankruptcy. He's like, I declare bankruptcy, and Oscar's like, Michael, you can't, you can't just say bankruptcy. He's like, I did it, I declared it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Uh, I love it. Yeah, I don't know. I guess just, just how we got the pancake day. I don't know. I don't know who makes it up. How does it go from that one woman? So like that happened that that day. And then like a year later, somebody remembered that. Mm-hmm. And they were like, yo, tell your friends. We're all making pancakes today. Remember <laughs> that lady last year? Bitch got caught think- outside her house with her, her apron on and her pancake. <laughs> Do you think that's how they asked? Dude, yo. <laughs> no, it was in England. So it was probably a bit more like sophisticated i don't even know i'm not even gonna try to do an no. english accent you have a cold so it probably wouldn't sound it's not gonna sound right <laughs> it's the cold makes it sound too boston <laughs> so Melissa, do you know when the first mardi gras was in america okay so i was also doing mardi gras research so it's not really <laughs> fair to ask me that question without looking at my notes i want to say it was in like the 1700s yeah, close. Uh, March third, sixteen ninety nine. Oh, <laughs> so off you're, I you're close. <laughs> I, I did the research and I still probably wouldn't have remembered. But Moses' brain is something else, and it needs to be donated to science. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, so that was the first American Mardi Gras. Like as we mentioned, and we'll get into it. There's different Mardi Gras throughout the world. Two French explorers. They landed near present-day New Orleans, Louisiana, and they held a small celebration and dubbed it the Fa of Mont du Mardi Gras, 
So in decades that followed, New Orleans and other French settlements began marking the holiday with street parties, mass balls, and lavish dinners. When the Spanish took control of New Orleans, they abolished these rowdy rituals and the bands remained enforced until Louisiana became its own state in 1812. Well, U.S. state in 1812. So the Spaniards came in and just buzz killed that whole festival. So in 1827, a group of students dressed in uh, costumes, they danced through the streets of New Orleans. About 10 years later, the first New Orleans Mardi Gras parade took place. And the parades are insane. It says 1857, and it was like a secret society. I don't know what it entails, organization, but these businessmen, and they are, they're called crews, and there's different kinds of crews, like Mystic Crew of Comas, and they organized a Mardi Gras procession with bands. So all these crews, they have a like crew of wrecks. They organize these parades in uh, New Orleans. I'm like trying to equate it. So it's like these like little secret societies that organized this whole, these like customs and traditions. And it just seems very much like the Portuguese brotherhoods. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So one of the crews, like I mentioned, Rex, the king, he's te- te- technically the king of the carnival. And the king, I, I believe, does not get chosen until the day before. And nobody like knows who it is. And the Rex, the king of carnival, he actually is the one that picked the colors, the purple and the green and the gold. That you that's like you see that's known for uh, New Orleans and did he declare it? <laughs> I declare purple stands for justice. I declare <laughs> green stands for faith. I declare gold stands for power. Those are, <laughs> those are, those are what it means. <laughs> With these crews, they do these carnival sessions and they're just big, big floats, and they just you know go down the whole like street. This whole map you gotta like find. You gotta go on the online like find the map so you can see where exactly the parades are going to go through and like what time it's going to start so on these parades they throw beads um they're wearing masks all decorated and they're like throwing king cake at people one of the things i'm going to nerd out here for a second but one (laughs) of the things that i saw that was interesting was i'm pretty sure this was new orleans for mardi gras but it brings out so many people that like all whatever houses or buildings that like lie in these streets people come out onto like the balconies of all these buildings and stuff and they crowd them and they have to get structural engineers into like all these buildings to validate that it can hold the load because like it would be like a little balcony that wasn't meant to hold 50 people at one time it's supposed to be like two cadenas out there with two people sitting so like that was the load it was designed for so that these balconies don't just like fall off and kill a bunch of people Oh, dang. Now I'm like thinking about it when I, God, I've gone twice, only once for the Mardi Gras season. And obviously it gets packed and you're right. Cause a lot of these like houses and businesses on like Bourbon Street have the balconies and people are above, they're throwing the beads off the balcony. So that's a good, that's an interesting point. It reminds me of like the Portuguese ladies who, who like put their head out the window with their carpet. For the parade, like the procession, you know what I'm talking about? Like they put like the carpet out the window or like a blanket or a quilt yeah, or something. So they can lean on it. Yeah. All right. So we already talked about England and their freaking flapjack events. 
So we have a few other countries that we'll just touch on, like some interesting things for how they celebrate Fat Tuesday or Mardi Gras, Carnival, whatever they call it in their country. Germany does a tradition. I actually, (laughs) I took a German 101 class in college, but I am not going to try to pronounce this (laughs) in German. (laughs) German is rough language. Have you ever seen those videos where they do side by sides? Like it'll be like four friends and the four friends speak different languages and it'll be like a Portuguese person, an English person, an Italian and a German or something. Mm -hmm. And they're all saying the same phrases. So like a phrase will come up on the screen. They'll make like a video, like a reel or something out of it. And a phrase will come up on the screen and like you'll say it in English and then in Portuguese and then in Italian. And then you get to the and they all sound short and sweet and lovely and then you get to german and it's so unnecessarily long and aggressive and they're just like (laughs) it's very it's very brute (laughs) it's called women's carnival in buell b-e-u-e-l and it's called bueller weberfassenacht sounds great so this women's carnival is tradition is said to have started in 1824 when local women first formed their own carnival committee, so they must have stormed the town hall because now they, as part of this festival ongoing, they do a symbolic storming of the town hall. It's broadcast live on TV. And in many towns across the state, a ritual takeover, in quotes, of the town halls by local women has become tradition. Among other established customs on that day, women cut off the ties of men which are seen as a symbol of men's status. The men wear the stumps of their ties and get a little kiss as compensation. (laughs) First of all, I'm like, woman empowerment. I'm all about it. These women are ballsy, right? (laughs) German women. More power to them in 1824, just being like, I'm going to cut your tie off because you don't have any more power. Does that mean that when Pam and Jim from the office got married, Jim lost his power because she cut his tie? Oh, she did cut his tie. It's because she she ripped her veil. (laughs) We'll go with that. It's because she's women empowerment. Wait, he cut his own tie. Oh, yes, that's right. Because she ripped her veil. And he was like, look, I can be stupid, too. Yeah. And he cut his tie, right? Yes. Yep. Hey, can't remember everything from the office. <laughs> <laughs> but I just, I thought that was so funny. I was like, hell yeah. It just, it made me want to riot. <laughs> Ireland. Apparently they get in a little bit on the pancake love. Oh yeah, they do. So it was a tradition that the eldest unmarried daughter So you (laughs) would toss the first pancake in what? I don't know. If the pancake fell on the floor, she would remain unmarried for the next 12 months. As marriages were not traditionally permitted during the Lenten period. Are you kidding me? (laughs) Yeah, that was news to me. Can't get married during Lent. Weddings on Shrove Tuesday were popular. So it was like the last day you could get married for 40 days. 
So like it was a popular wedding day. So what became known as Skellig Night was a feature of Shrove Tuesday. And it was after sunset, noisy crowds went onto the streets of the towns in the region. And the Skellig Night procession was all about loudly slagging off the still single and telling them to, quote, go to the Skelligs. The Skellig Islands were off the coast of Ireland, and they were said to still run under the old calendar. Therefore, Ash Wednesday would arrive later there. Hence, there would still be time for the single to go there to marry before Lent began. Sometimes people in disguise would call to the homes of the single and try to take them by force onto the street to be jeered, making as much fun of them as possible. Okay, I don't like anything being forced on anyone, but <laughs> they freaking found a loophole <laughs> to get married. Just get on over to Skellig's Island. And you can get married. So it gets it gets like worse. So the Sunday, oh. the Sunday following Shrove Tuesday, which is the first Sunday in Lent, was commonly known as Chalk Sunday in Ireland, and the public bullying of the unmarried would reach a peak on that day in some regions. The unmarried had chalk X's, like a scarlet letter, like chalk X's and other emblems drawn on their backs so that the public could catcall them. This often (laughs) took place on the way to and from church. So I'm fucked if if I go to Ireland around this time. Young men and women were let off with just a chalk mark, but chronic bachelors and spinsters were especially targeted. So some of them were marked with a something called a rattle, R-A-D-D-L-E. It's a substance used to mark sheep that was really hard to clean from clothing. To be chalked was seen as a bit of a joke, but to be rattled was viewed as problematic. So they also had pranks played on them. They would remove gates from your gate posts if you were single. They'd put graffiti on your gate posts. There's a story of one group of pranksters who went to the trouble of creating an effigy, which I think is like a scarecrow kind of thing, yeah. dressed in women's clothes and leaving it in front of a bachelor's house to jokingly provide him with a wife. In some parts, the day was known as Puss Sunday after Puss or pus, I don't know, pus Sunday, the Irish word for scowl, because anyone without a partner was said to wear a scowl reflecting their constant unhappiness at their unmarried state. The torture of the unattached did not end there. My goodness. Salt Monday was observed in some parts of the country with the condiment freely thrown on single people to preserve them for another year. I am fucked if I go to Ireland. (laughs) So it says, for the singles in Ireland's past, the public shaming and mortification was loud and real, but these customs thankfully have died out by the mid-20th century. Oh, thank you. Because they found out it was Single Awareness Week. So they they had to stop it. (laughs) Oh my God. I thought those were so crazy. Like they despised single people. Yeah, but you're not letting them get married for 40 days. (laughs) What if I meet my husband? I got to wait 40 days and then I'm going to get attacked for being single. 
Hey, the movie 40 Days and 40 Nights. Oh, good question. Who's in that? Josh Hartnett? Is that about Lent? I'm going to find out right now. That's the one that he's like in Alaska and it's dark. Oh, yeah, you're right. After a brutal breakup, a young man vows to stay celibate during the 40 Days of Lent, but finds the girl of his dreams is unable to do anything about it. This was like a movie that came out when in 2002. When we were young and Josh Hartnett was such a heartthrob. Oh, yeah. Rated R, an hour and 36 minutes. Gotta have it. Watch on Paramount Plus. That's the movie that he was in with Alaska. That he was in Alaska. 30 Days of a Night. Close. <laughs> he was in a movie called 30 Days of Night and a movie called 40 Days and 40 Nights. Yeah. <laughs> it was like a vampire movie. What happened to him? He just like fell off the face of this earth. If he finds himself listening to this, <laughs> I am single. <laughs> Josh Hartnett, I don't think, is one of our listeners. You never know. He didn't come up my. He didn't come up on my list when I googled Portuguese actors and actresses. His father is of Irish and German descent, and his mother is of Swedish and Norwegian ancestry. I think he'll come on the pod. Yeah. Do you think any of his family members got attacked in Ireland for being single? Yeah, he made a movie about it. <laughs> in Brazil, it's a week-long carnival festivity, which I see all the time on TV when my parents have it on. And it is mixed with European, African, and Native traditions. I didn't realize that they also had a carnival-type celebration in Portugal, or specifically Madeira does a big carnival thing they do malasadas with the intent of using all the lard and sugar in one's home in preparation for lent so the hawaiian malasada influence that we talked about before dates back to the days of the sugarcane plantations of the 19th century when the portuguese mostly from madeira and the azores went to hawaii to work in those plantations bringing their catholic traditions so that's how it got there. These workers used up butter and sugar prior to Lent by making large batches of malasadas. In some of the Portuguese islands, such as São Miguel, malasadas can also be eaten after dipping them in molasses. Wow. I've never done that. No. Malasadas are known by other names, for example, filoses and fartudas. I always feel like I've heard my mom say fertudish, but I've heard fertudish, but I didn't think it was malasadish. But I looked up fertudish, and it looks like a churro. Like it look like it's shaped more like a churro, which is like like all these things are kind of the same. They're just in different shapes, maybe. But red sh- red sugar and fertuda means abundance. Which yeah, that's how I thought my it was like fortune. That's how I've heard my mom say it. Right, right, right. Eek for Tuda. Yeah, yep. Right. That's how, like, I feel like I've heard her say it that way. But not referring to like Melisandes, no. No. So the Carnival Festival in Portugal used to be known as Intrude, E-N-T-R-U-D-O. So Intrude means entrance, alluding to the days ahead of Lent. So Carnival Tuesday and the Sunday before Lent are fat days. 
in contrast to the lean days typical of Lent. So Dming Gurd and Tersafira Gurda. <laughs> they have some expressions associated with this. So Nuing Trud comes Tud. So during intrudes, <laughs> everything is eaten. I love it. I like that. I like that. Oh, so this was interesting. It says with the slaughter of the pig at Christmas time, the fattest meats are carefully stored and salted. They are to be later savored on Fat Sunday only. This includes parts such as the ears, snout, feet, and tails. Mm. Cheeses, sausages, and hams are other foods traditionally appropriate on these fat days, all accompanied with wine, of course. <laughs> are they giving up the wine for Lent? Uh, no. I don't know. <laughs> Probably not, right? <laughs> Nunca. Okay, so carnival pranks. Oh, so apparently it's a tradition to go around pranking people. And the expression that they use in Portuguese is a carnival, ninguém leva mal, meaning it's carnival, nobody takes it the wrong way. So, like, they're okay <laughs> with these pranks, apparently. Yeah. The participants would go out into the streets throwing all sorts of things at each other, including buckets of water, eggs, oranges, and little cloth bags filled with rubble or sawdust. The sawdust that they use to make the flowers. I, the it was green. the first thing I thought. I know. <laughs> and you're going to tell me if you run it around in a Portuguese village and you're throwing eggs. Yeah. No. And wasted it's eggs. Not- that ninguém va levar mal. I think they're going to be <laughs> levant mal. <laughs> it's not going to be eggs this year. We all know that. Then they had stink bombs. It says some kids would have stink bombs. <laughs> Fragile little vials with a foul-smelling liquid inside. They could clear a room with an instant. Classrooms were often the victims of this prank. What classrooms? They didn't go to school. You kidding me? <laughs> they did it. They did it. All right. And then there was a couple more pranks. So one of them was like you'd tie a rope to a stone and then you'd like go far away and somehow like the, you'd make the stone knock on somebody's door they'd open it up <laughs> and nobody would be there like it's like ding dong ditch kind of thing yeah, but like yeah. in the olden days <laughs> another prank was to flower somebody so it's called fringada, like literally like put fringa all over somebody so boys throwing a heap of flour into unsuspecting girls' faces on Carnival Monday. So what happens when that flour isn't flour and it's cocaine, like we discussed <laughs> in a previous episode? <laughs> yeah, so if you're going to be there on Carnival Monday in Rob's Pish, it's going to be a different kind of furinada. <laughs> exactly. And actually, I have a whole thing about Spain with flour that we'll get to but the next prank was called panelada or panelada like panela panela panelada i don't know it's getting panned so this one was usually (laughs) destined for the older generations it consisted of filling a pan with wooden rubble or nuts and throwing them into the homes of the unsuspecting elderly this would obviously make a tremendous noise and scare people are you kidding me? would be chasing you out with a chanel and a wooden spoon. Are you kidding me? 
Kurishk. You're going to give someone a heart attack. Ah, Kurishk Pchaj. Oh, my God. I like how they say that was all the days of, like, our parents' time. Like, was my dad and your dad doing that? I got to ask my dad if he's ever done a (laughs) Fridignada or a Penalada. (laughs) I can't be saying that, right? (laughs) (laughs) I love it, though. Hey, you're trying, and that's all that matters. Oh, man, Portuguese to English. I love Google Translate. Okay, this is telling me that Penalada means pancake. (laughs) Dude, what is it with all the pancake talk today? Panelada. But it's it's telling me it means pancake and not putting a bunch of nuts in a pan (laughs) to scare an old person. All right. So they have gigantic puppets that are worn by a person. They look like they're wooden. They look like they're carved out of wood, but they're like a costume that someone would Mm -hmm. wear. These like giant puppet heads and bodies. And they're called cabasso. Giant heads. The weight of the heads, it's in kilograms in this article, but I transferred it to pounds. 77 pounds. Get the fuck out of here. The weight of the head. For contrast, I looked up what the Disney characters' heads weighed, and they only go up to 47 pounds. Even that, though. They got to deal with OSHA. That's a lot. 47 pounds? But apparently... No OSHA for the Kebasudos. What is that? That's that's a lot. I know I 77 for these wooden ones. Unfortunately. Yeah, I can't get over that. Okay, so then there was the tie here to the pagan fertility dances. So this there's this other thing called karet. I don't know how to explain this. It's these men and they wear these. Red, yellow, and green. It looks like yarn, shaggy yarn costumes with like leather strap belts on them and like a red wooden mask over their face. They wear cowbells on their belts. They're supposed to be mischievous creatures. They run up and down the streets, jumping and dancing and shouting excitedly and scaring people. Another characteristic of their behavior is to run up to young women and dance with them dance in quotation marks they ring their cowbells on the woman by shaking their hips this characteristic movement is said to have roots in the pagan fertility dances everything goes back to lupercalia everything's all connected it's all connected i feel like i'm, I'm getting a better understanding of the world yeah. <laughs> and how how it's fucked yeah too. hey it's at carnival and get love them all <laughs> The tradition almost went extinct thanks to colonial war and emigration. But thankfully, through the effort of people, it came back and is in force, too. It's now one of the main tourist attractions of the region and country. So they almost lost it because our parents were coming to the States. Yeah, they didn't bring the, that fertility dance <laughs> with them. They brought the brotherhood of the Spritzant, but they didn't bring the Karech. They could only choose one. <laughs> There was a weight limit on the plane. <laughs> <laughs> they've, they've decided to go with the crew. <laughs> this was interesting. It says this tradition is very Portuguese and it's called Winter do Intrude. So Intrude, again, is what they call Fat Tuesday. And they do Winter do Intrude 
which is the burial of Fat Tuesday on Ash Wednesday. And so what they do is it's a closing celebration to all the excess of the last few days. It's organized by the people, generally consists of a pretend funeral parade. The funeral is held on Ash Wednesday with a life-size dummy or doll as the deceased. The fuck? Other characters, quote-unquote, present at the funeral include the, quote, inconsolable widows, a, a sister and a wife, usually, making witty, derogatory, and humorous remarks about the deceased to the priest, who equally responds sarcastically back. There is even a will in Testament that the doll leaves behind with tips on how society can change or improve before the next year. The will is read in public for all to hear, and then the dummy is lit on fire and cast out to sea to be drowned. The significance of this is to purge the soul of bad energy. Every year, this tradition is reviving itself more and more in an attempt to preserve national heritage and fight globalization. I need a minute to take that all in. (laughs) Right? Like, I read that and I was like flabbergasted. So you're (laughs) making a funeral for a dummy. A fake funeral. And, and like being witty and like comedic about it, like joking about a funeral, like that doesn't seem like them. No, it doesn't. <laughs> I'm just thinking about like, what if you were going on a first date with a dude and like he took you there? <laughs> <laughs> it's like a fake funeral and then they light the deceased on fire and drown him <laughs> in the ocean. Do you run or do you stay? <laughs> dude. I thought that was wild. Yeah, that's all. That's very wild. Yeah, I. I don't You're even speechless. Just <laughs> speechless. Well, because I, I'm just thinking about how I don't know if you remember. It was a few months ago about how a woman married a dummy, and she had like an actual wedding for it. You can go. You can like look it up, and I think they end up finding out it was fake. I have no idea that the whole wedding was fake. But that's all I can think about. <laughs> so she's going to have to have a funeral for it at some point. <laughs> I just can't believe like that the priests participate and the priests are like joking around back with them. Like, are you kidding me? I don't know. But I'm very curious to hear from our listeners. Did you know about this? Do they know anyone that has attended? Have they attended? Please let us know. <laughs> that must be mainland Portugal, because I I don't know. I guess it could be Azorian too, but I don't know that I've heard of that. I definitely haven't heard of that. I haven't heard of it. Heard it the first time here. Uh, it's called culture. <laughs> All right. So I promised I would get back to the Spanish version of Fariñada, getting Fariña put all over you. And so in Spain, they call it Powder Day. So Fat Tuesday, Shrove Tuesday, whatever you want to call it, Carnival. In Spain, Day of the Powder. Dia de los Polvos. I can't be saying that right. You're doing great. (laughs) This local tradition involves the throwing of talcum powder at one another. Talcum powder? Yeah. So the second I read that, I was like, 
didn't Johnson and Johnson have like a whole lawsuit about people getting cancer from putting freaking baby powder on their machine? Yeah, they did. Holy shit, right to the face. Well, I'm on the Wikipedia page for this and the photo that is shown, you would think would be like some historic photo of this tradition. And it literally looks like it's a brand new photo and it's like a bunch of kids in shorts and t-shirts and they have super soca guns, <laughs> super soakers like that I had in the 1990s. And I don't know if they fill the super soakers with talcum powder and that's what they're spraying. Like they're in a cloud of white and they're all holding these like neon green and orange super soakers. Oh my God. That's so funny. I don't like I wouldn't think that you could put powder in a super soaker and like shoot powder out of it. But I guess maybe they jailbreak the the super soaker to be able to shoot powder. I would think you'd get stuck in there, but. Better not get any water in there. That shit will start to clump. (laughs) One reason given for the custom is that it takes place the day before Ash Wednesday on which the priest declares to the faithful remember that you are dust and unto dust you shall return so they took that a little too literally (laughs) and filled the super soakers up with talcum powder a more likely origin of the tradition is said to have its roots in a christian moorish riot in the 16th century this states that the custom originated in a dispute between a moorish and a christian girl who were in love with the same man both worked in a bakery, and as the argument grew more heated, they ended up throwing all the flour they could find at each other. <laughs> no man is worth it. <laughs> Stop. You can't make this shit up. Like, an entire country is doing a tradition for hundreds of years because two broads were fighting over one man? <laughs> It's some like Brandy and Monica boy is mine shit going on. Oh, that was such a great song. The boy is mine, the boy is mine, the boy is mine. They probably got fired from the Positia, right? I mean. If they're wasting the flower, most likely. Yeah, they probably both got fired from the Positia. Guaranteed, he still works there. Oh, you think he worked at the Padilla too? And, and he probably didn't get fired because that's just how shit was back then and still is. <laughs> Time to make the donuts. <laughs> oh cool. my God. A lot of Office references today. Wait, that's from The Office? <laughs> Michael says that too. <laughs> Time to make the it, donuts. It's from... Like Dunkin' Donuts commercials no, in like know, the nineties. I know it is too, but Michael says it too when he starts his own business and he has <laughs> to pick up Pam and Ryan. Oh my god! <laughs> in years gone by, the custom evolved that young men wanting to request their girlfriend's hand in marriage would th- throw flour at them. Girls <laughs> not wishing this gets this gets like aggressive. Girls not wishing to be subject to this would refrain from going out on the streets, forcing the boys to come up with ingenious ways to powder their target. A young man would dust his hands with flour and try to enter a young girl's house and smother her face with flour. If Kelly's (laughs) jaw is on the ground, 
If doors and windows were closed, it meant he was not desired by the girl. If the lad was still keen, he had to smartly outwit her by climbing to the roof or breaking windows and doors to get her smeared with the flower, thus winning her heart in a symbolic way or simply to impress her. So, okay, so he's getting himself an assault charge and he's getting himself a break and an entering charge <laughs> just so he can marry this girl. Dude, no means no. There's no consent here when you have to break in. If the door is closed, it's closed. I just can't believe how aggressive this is. (laughs) Nowadays, this tradition especially appeals to the young people who hurl talcum powder instead of flower at each other. Without ass to end too, though. I know. (laughs) I gotta send them some of the the court cases against Johnson and Johnson without preference or distinction as to gender or origin until they're completely covered with it. So now they don't, they're just super soaking everybody. They don't, it's not about trying to get laid anymore. Almost consider that as like an assault. So like someone's powdering you. Like if someone spits on you, that's considered an assault. Right. It reminds me of like when people were just like going up and like throwing acid in people's faces. Yes. You know what I'm talking about? Yep, like yep, they were just yep, like a stranger yeah. and you just like acid their face. That was like a random like high school. I remember in high school always hearing about people getting acid thrown in their face. Where were people getting acid from? A lot of questions about that. <laughs> like where where did you get acid from? Especially in our day, we didn't really have the internet to like Like now you could probably order it on Amazon, but <laughs> But back then, get, like a twenty-four pack of acid. <laughs> back then, where did they get it from? That's a good question. I don't know. I always hear. I heard so many of those stories. It was always on like sixty minutes, and then they would show like the person's like facial reconstruction and like the acid burns all over their face. That's oh man, what a time! What a time to be alive. So yeah. I guess flour is not as bad as acid, but when you're climbing my roof and breaking in the window to smother me in bed with talcum (laughs) powder, I think I got a case (laughs) against you. Absolutely. The big thought, this is is kind of like my closing thought, and then we'll go into mental health segment. The big thought I had with all this Fat Tuesday shit is it's like tied to religion-ish. Like I said, it's kind of adjacent to religion, to the Catholics. And gluttony is one of the seven deadly sins. So you're just like being gluttonous. You're you're committing a, a deadly sin right before starting Lent. And that just seemed like it was a little bit of a conflict of interest. There. Right, yeah. You know that's, what I'm saying? Another great point that you made. So I yes. so I was trying to like research that. What I came up with instead was this blog post by Trulia. You know Trulia, like the yeah. real estate mm-hmm. place. Real <laughs> now estate. I'm very concerned. Why do they have a blog? So Trulia, this was several years ago. Did this post where in the spirit of fat tuesday excess we ranked america's most sinful cities and their saintly counterparts we crafted our list by using the seven deadly sins of lust gluttony greed sloth wrath 
envy and vanity or pride. For each sin, we looked at the characteristics. For instance, for lust, we measured how many adult entertainment venues a city had per resident. For sloth, we used surveys about exercise. Finally, we aggregated the data from all sins to create our top list of sin cities and saintly sanctuaries. And so they made all these maps of like the seven deadly sins and like what cities it like cities. corresponded to around the US. And I just thought uh, it was interesting. This, this is gonna be good. I resonate with a sloth, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> no working out. I just hang there. So they did like an overall and then they did like mm-hmm. per individual sin. So overall, New Orleans number one. Sin, yeah. Sin City. And why does Vegas get the name of it then? And I love I love New Orleans. <laughs> Vegas did not crack the t- oh it did. I'm sorry. Vegas was number eight of ten on Sin City overall. Okay. okay. So it was New Orleans, Atlantic City, Philadelphia, Tampa, Toledo, Ohio, Louisville, Kentucky. Shreveport, Louisiana, Las Vegas, Nevada, San Antonio, Texas, Columbus, Ohio. So Boston didn't even make the list? No. And so this is overall, like this is all seven deadly sins Mm -hmm. rolled into one, right? So now if we go into overall saintly sanctuaries, so like the opposite of these seven deadly sins, the best places, number one, Cambridge, Massachusetts. Harvard. And then you've got, you know, Greeley, Colorado, Asheville, North Carolina, Boise, Idaho, Claremont, Lebanon, New Hampshire, Vermont area. That's something like that's close to me. Raleigh, North Carolina, Tuscaloosa, Alabama, Fort Collins, Colorado, Ogden, Clearfield, Utah, Provo, Orem, Utah. Uh, Two for Utah. The Mormons. Can't drink in, in Salt Lake, right? Oh, yeah, it's a dry city. That's probably why, right? All right. So if vanity or pride is your vice of choice, head to the Golden State where all of the top five cities in this category can be found. So California is the vanity. I could see it. I could see it. (laughs) Least vain. Claremont, New Hampshire was in there as least vain. Interesting. All right bunch of hillbillies they don't care what they look like <laughs> mostly can say that because she lives in new hampshire yes most envious fairfield county connecticut detroit michigan philadelphia pittsburgh new york cleveland scranton pa comes back to the office <laughs> yeah the michael scott paper company <laughs> was envious of Dundon Mifflin. Awesome. Least envious. Nothing really of a note there. Sloths. Top cities. All right. So top cities for sinning sloths. So McAllen, Texas. Most slothful. Huntington, West Virginia. Kingsport, Tennessee. Yakima, Washington. El Paso, Texas. Least slothful, number one, Burlington, Vermont. Oh. I could see it. They're walking around everywhere all the time. 
I love Burlington. Most wrathful cities based on the rate of violent crimes committed per capita. Okay. So we have most wrathful Memphis, Tennessee, Philadelphia, PA, Anchorage, Alaska, Albuquerque, New Mexico, Las Vegas, Nevada. Oh, interesting. Okay. Least wrathful, number one, Portland, Maine. Long Island, New York. Bangor, Maine. Two Mainers on the least wrathful. That's interesting. So that's no violent crimes. Or low violent crimes. In Long Island? I know. I was just thinking. (laughs) Is it because they're just not being called in? Like... They're not being reported. Right, exactly. All right, so lust, most lustful, Atlantic City, New Jersey. (laughs) I can attest to that based on how I was groped (laughs) in Atlantic City. You groped, you were picked up. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So I can vouch for that. Mm-hmm. Las Vegas, Nevada, number two. Honolulu, Hawaii, number three, most lustful. Portland, oh. Oregon. San Francisco, California. Least lustful. Bangor, Maine. Here we go. Barnstable Town in Massachusetts. Right. Cape. Billings, Montana. Burlington, Vermont. Claremont, New Hampshire. And then a bunch of other random spots. But that's like, that's a lot right near us in New England. Yeah. In the top five of least lustful. So then we have glutton. The index was based on obesity rate and alcohol consumption and smoking. Okay. So most gluttonous. Sioux City, Iowa. Scranton, PA. Lafayette, Louisiana. Dayton, Ohio. Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Least gluttonous, Fayetteville, North Carolina, San Jose, California, Ogden, Utah, Kingsport, Tennessee, Provo, Utah. So Maine is not on that list. (laughs) I think their binge drinking number might have put them over. Greediness. So this greed index was based on racing and gambling minus charitable giving. So how much racing and gambling they had and then how little (laughs) charitable giving they did. Vegas, racing, uh, Kentucky. (laughs) So number one was Billings, Montana. Number two, Lexington, Kentucky. Three, Las Vegas, Nevada. Reno, Nevada. Kennewick, Washington. So they gamble and don't donate pretty much. Greedy bastards. Least greedy, Chattanooga, Tennessee, Jackson, Mississippi, Tuscaloosa, Alabama, Ogden, Utah, Provo, Utah. These same Utah cities keep coming up. It's like everything is banned there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why they make it on the list. <laughs> I know. So we can get into our mental health segment. Keep it quick because my my cold is starting to bring me down. Losing your losing your voice. Yes. 
So I think both of ours are Mardi Gras themes. So I'm going to go into mine. Mine's is a little silly. <laughs> Maybe, she's, in a, I don't know. <laughs> she's in a silly, goofy mood. So my mental health maybe tip or traveling tip per se when you get to Mardi Gras is girls, do not need to flash for beads. You don't have to. <laughs> it's not a tradition in, in New Orleans. In the, it was not. It's like made up. So don't think you have to. Men will still, people, men will still give you beads. I got plenty and I kept my clothes on. If you want to flash, by all means, <laughs> go for it if you're comfortable. But you do not have to. That is my traveling slash anxiety mental health tip. Yeah. The stuff of legends. <laughs> so my mental health tip was was kind of like all about like setting a vibe or setting a mood. We find that like the way that our environment is like we're we're constantly overloaded and overstimulated. So music or TV or people talking like there's always something going on in the background. And so we decided that one of the things that we wanted to do to kind of set a different mood or a more relaxing, less anxious mood would be to play to get a record player and to play just like slow jazz on the record player throughout our house Mm -hmm. so we bought or we got a record player for christmas we just go around now to record stores and buy all these like used up old jazz records for five dollars each and they don't have any lyrics so that's not taking up space in your brain you're not like it's not just like noise pollution and if you get just like slow jazz some jazz, I have a couple of records that I got that were jazz records that they're a little a little peppy for or the, they're a little aggressive for the anxiety. You want those in a, a different mood. Those aren't like a calming jazz. Yeah. But yeah. The, the like slow or smooth jazz records are very calming and they set a really good tone to just hear a record player going with that instead of just music with lyrics and all this other crazy shit going on. And it it helps calm our household down so we like set that up at like dinner time we like play smooth jazz on the record player and that's relatable to new orleans in general because they have a lot of jazz clubs and it's one of my favorite areas of new orleans is going to all the little jazz clubs and just sitting there having a drink and listening to the music It's, it's a vibe it's a good vibe it's a good vibe. It's like a relaxing yeah. vibe. It like mm-hmm. takes your anxiety down. It's just very calming. The only downside to the record player, because I I love the record player. I love, I I just love the nostalgia of getting all the old records. I love just like the hobby part of it where you just go into record stores and like, you know, sift through the records and buy them. Like that's so fun. And I like the sound, like the crackly kind of like vibe. Mm-hmm. But I don't think I realized how short the playtime is on a record so like typically each side of the record only has like maybe like four songs max and i mean think about that what are they like three minutes a song so like every 12 minutes you have to flip the record like the music will just stop and you have you're like yeah it's like every 12 minutes you're at that record player fumbling around so that's not ideal but it wasn't even a thought in their head that they had to get up every 12 minutes to go change change the record. Back then, they had to get up to change the channel if they didn't have a remote. 
But in our day and age now of having everything like so instant at our fingertips, live streaming all the time, like it's so to have that interruption every 12 minutes to have to go flip the record is it's interesting. We're the last generation of almost having from come from both. Like we grew up, like, you know, I grew up with my parents had a record player. I know your parents did. So like your daughter now is going to grow up with a record player because you have one. Most kids now are not going to grow up with it. Right. And what I love about it is that, yes, my I did buy a new record player. Like I didn't salvage an old one, but all the records are just old records. Mm-hmm. Like, le- like legit, like I got a pack of like 30 records from my father-in-law's musty basement. <laughs> And they smell like a musty basement. They have like half mold growing on them. But like it, you're like giving life to something and reusing it without mm-hmm. having to just go create more waste. Right. You know, you're actually reusing something instead of having it landfilled somewhere or whatever. So I think it's really cool. That's all we got for today. I, again, I apologize for the my voice did my best sound beautiful as always (laughs) (laughs) slide into our dms talk about anything from the episodes that you heard anything you want us to mention on an episode we're happy to do that we want to start trying to do that at the beginning of every episode just kind of highlight some things from our listeners because you guys give us some both very funny commentary sometimes and uh, also very helpful tips 